Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, we have been in this series of messages that we have called The Voices in My Head and uh, talking about these, these voices are our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings, all those different things. We're going to talk about one today that I think, um, let, let's just be kind of honest and vulnerable with each other. All of us at some point have wrestled with this, probably something that we will continue to wrestle with. Any of you ever been like really mad? Anybody? Like, come on, let's be honest. Anybody really mad? All right, and those of you that, that don't have your hands raised, some of you are liars, right? I mean, so that's, we all get mad at times, right? Sometimes for good reason. Like there are times when it's just, it's right to be angry about something. There's other times where we get mad and it's for not so good reasons. And then it's interesting to watch when other people get mad. Sometimes you can just, you can just see how un, unreasonable or unrealistic they get in that moment. I remember one time interacting with a little like preschool age kid who was, who was just so mad at another kid. And he was just, and he was like standing, he was just so mad and he, he just didn't know what to do. And he was trying to think of the worst, the, the meanest thing that he could do or say. And he just looked at other kids and said, you're, you're, you're not a Christian, he said to him. Right? Just so mad. Here's the reality. Even Christians get mad sometimes, right? We're going to look today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. We're going to look at this specific voice, emotion, or thought today. We're going to look at it from the life of a hero in the scripture, a guy named Moses. Most of the time when we talk about Moses, we put him up there as a hero. We talk about him in the context of his, his delivering people and of his relationship with God. We talk about so many good things. Today, we're gonna look at a story where it doesn't end so well for Moses. In fact, this is, this is one of the, I think, honestly, one of the most tragic stories in scripture, especially in Moses' life, the way that this all plays out. And before we go too far, just so you know, I'm not picking on Moses here today because Moses' story is all of our story as we wrestle with the voices in our head. We're gonna talk specifically about anger today. So I wanna just work through this story, Numbers chapter 20, and make, make some observations as we go through. What I want you to see here are six things to do when you are feeling angry. We're gonna look at this today. Six things to do when you're feeling angry or what's interesting about this message is as we talk about these emotions, these temptations, these thoughts, these feelings, these reactions that we have to things, as we talk about these today, the reality is we're gonna, we're gonna make anger our case study. But I think that the principles that are here today fit in a lot of other thoughts and emotions that we deal with as individuals as well. I think you're gonna see a parallel here with the way that we handle things like jealousy or fear or lust or pride or bitterness or shame. So if I had to subtitle this one, it would be called, What to Do When the Voices Are Winning. Do you know that feeling? When the voices in your head are shouting pretty loud, when those emotions, those feelings are there, and you're in a place where you think you're going to give in even though you know it's not the best thing. Moses and his anger will be our case study today. No spoiler alert in this. The story doesn't end well. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, 
And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. There's a lot packed in to just those couple of verses. And a lot that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to us if we're not familiar with the larger story. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we often refer to kind of as one unit called the Pentateuch. And like starting with the book of Exodus on through those, those last four, there's, there's this common thread of a story about how God's people were slaves. They were captive in the nation of Egypt. And God sent them a deliverer to lead them out of their slavery, to lead them out of their captivity. Is this guy named Moses. Moses is one of the greatest leaders in scripture. He's probably one of the greatest leaders of all time. And in this story, what happens is Moses leads them out of captivity in Egypt. He's supposed to take them into this, this place that God had, had promised them. We call it the promised land. And yet, because they were whiners and grumblers and complainers and didn't really trust God, God said to the generation that came up out of slavery in Egypt, he said, look, I'll rescue you from your slavery, but you're not going into the promised land. The next generation will go in, but you're not going to get to go in. So if you know the story, for 40 years, they, we use the term, they wander in the wilderness, waiting for the time that they can go into the promised land. So when you read this, this verse, and it starts with the words, in the first month, they're not just saying a statement of what time of year it is. What they're saying is, and if you see the bigger picture here, in the first month of the last year of the time that they were wandering in the wilderness. So they've been out here for over 39 years. Let's just call it 40. They've been out here this whole time wandering, waiting to get into the promised land. Do you think Moses is tired of them? Sometimes I'm worn out with you people after three services, right? I mean, that's just... so. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. He's been out there. He's been out there a long time. Then, what's it say next? Miriam died. Who's Miriam? Why, thank you. Yeah, it's his sister. Not only his sister, but if you know the story, the one who put him in the, the Nile River, the one who was like the, the middleman between Pharaoh's daughter and Moses' mother, like, like when there was this reunion, like there's this special tie between him and Miriam, and now... She's gone. Not only is she gone, but they're out here in the desert and they have no water. It's a pretty big deal when you, when you don't have water because <laughs> you need water to drink. So not only is there this physical issue of no water, but all the people are upset because they want water. And when the people are upset, who do they go to? They go to Moses. So Moses, you get us some water. So not only are they upset with him where there's this relational tension, but Moses has this big challenge of trying to get them some water. What's interesting about this story is this is not the first time that this happens. Like if you rewind 39, 40 years, you, you get all the way back to Exodus chapter 17. Shortly after they leave Egypt, they find themselves out in the desert and they have no water. And so Moses seeks God for what he should do. And God says, Moses, take your staff like, that's, that's, the, that's the stick you always see Moses carry, you know, in the, the, the pictures, the movies, when he's part in the Red Sea, or when he goes and, and performs the miracles in front of Pharaoh and his magicians. In these different moments, Moses takes his staff, in Exodus chapter 17, he strikes the rock, and water comes up out of the rock. It's this incredible miracle how God provides for them. So 39 years later, 40 years later, they find themselves back in the same spot where the people are in the desert and they have no water, Think about this from Moses' perspective. He's been wandering with them for a long time. He is emotionally worn out because his sister just died. 
He has a physical challenge in front of him with he doesn't have water and the people don't have water. And now they're grumbling and complaining. It says that they rise up in opposition to him. Do you think Moses is stretched a little thin in this moment? Here's the first thing that I want you to see. When you're, when you're thinking that maybe you're feeling some of those signs of, of anger, number one, watch for warning signs. Number one, watch for warning signs. All these things going on in Moses' life right here. And if you think about it, he's burdened physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, probably even spiritually. And not to ruin the story for those of you who, who don't know it, but before we're done here, Moses is going to respond in a way that is unhealthy. And I happen to think that some of this is because he was kind of pushed to a point, he was stretched really thin. Think of all this that is going on in his life, and it was important for him in that moment to watch for the warning signs. I've got a rubber band right here, and I, you, you can't see, now you, can you see it? Can you see the rubber band? Who knows how a rubber band works? Yeah, you know how it works, right? You take it, and you put it on something so that it holds it together. The problem is, if you put too much in it, what happens? It stretches out, and then it, yeah, it'll break or it'll snap. Now, I'm not going to break this one because it would hurt, and I need it for another service. <laughs> but you know what it's like when something gets stretched so thin that then it snaps. I found that that same thing can actually be true in my life. I found that there's times when I can be pushed to a point where life can move so fast, when things can get so crazy that it's when I'm stretched too thin that I'm prone to snap. Anybody else? And you got to watch for those warning signs. What are those times when physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, even relationally in different ways, we can be stretched to a certain point that it's unwise for us to not recognize these warning signs and see, I'm being stretched too far here. Here's what I've come to find out. There are times when I can't trust myself. There are times when i got to look at my life and go, hey, Chad, you think you got it all together, rubber band, but you don't. And you're stretched too thin, and you need some strength from Jesus, and you need some grace from others. You got to watch for those warning signs, because here's what happens next. Verse 3 of Numbers chapter 20. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Isn't that whiny? Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Bunch of whiners, aren't they? You can like hear it here. The dramatic exaggeration. What are they doing? They're grumbling. They're blaming Moses. They're dismissing God in this whole thing. I love the way the Bible doesn't cover over our humanity, right? I mean, you see it in the way that they're complaining. You're going to see it in the life of Moses. And here's what I would encourage you with. Second thing, number two, know your limits. Don't just watch for the warning signs, but know your limits. These people were doing things that were pushing Moses to the brink. 
Here's where we watch these first two things in this message come together. There are times when we've got to watch for the warning signs and know our limits and recognize I'm probably at a point where I need to be mindful of the fact that what's going on in life could push me to a place where I could respond in a way that I will not be happy with or I will not be proud of. Anybody, right? And there's times when I've just got to know my limits. So anger is our case study here on this, right? And so I've got to ask you, like, like what, what is it that pushes you to your limits, like you heard it here in this passage. Is it drama and exaggeration? Is it when somebody starts to, to point the finger and cast blame? Is it when there's conflict, criticism, disobedience, bad attitudes? Like what is it that pushes you to your limit? What is the thing that when that happens, you, you just respond in a way that you're not pleased with? There was this little movie that came out several weekends ago called Avengers. Anybody hear that? Yeah, it was everywhere when Endgame came out, right? And th that weekend was just huge in the box office. These two guys work at Domino's. One guy had seen the movie. Another guy had not. And they were in the, the pizza shop there. And the one guy that had seen the movie not only started telling the other guy how good the movie was, he started telling him how good the movie ended. Yeah, right? Like with details, to the point that when he wouldn't stop, the guy that hadn't seen the movie just punched him, right? He was like, I can't take it anymore. Kind of, this little altercation happened. They called the police. The police came up. Worst part of the whole story was the police officer said that when she wrote the police report, she had to write the whole thing out. So now she knows how the movie ends too. <laughs> what is it that just pushes your buttons that you end up spoiling things for everybody? This is what we're gonna find in this, this story. So let me encourage you with this. When you see those warning signs in your life, you're wise to go. When you, when you know where these limits are, right? You're wise to say, I've got to be on top of this. Start here. Identify what pushes your buttons. Like what is it that irritates you? That puts you in a place where you wanna react to it. Like when I react, it's usually not very thoughtful. It's usually pretty much in the moment. And oftentimes when I react, it gets me in trouble. True? <laughs> like what is it? Okay, it's just me. What, what is it that pushes your buttons? Because you don't want to react to those things. You're better off if you respond to those things. When I respond, I'm doing things. It's more thoughtful. It's more purposeful. It's, it's with a positive outcome in mind. It's kind of a difference between when I choose to respond and when I choose to react. So what is it, identify this, what is it that pushes your buttons? Or maybe, who is it that pushes your buttons? Right, these, these things happen. So if you know that there's a certain person that's gonna cause you to be short-tempered, give some thought to that. If you know there's a certain day of the week or a time of day when you're likely to react instead of respond, keep that in mind. If there's times where you know physically, maybe when you're hungry or when you're tired, that that's not the best time to come into things that might be tense, keep that in mind. And here's, here's the reality. These same things about identifying what pushes your buttons, this is where it's not just true about anger, right? For a lot of the voices in our heads, if we're not wise about what makes us susceptible to those thoughts that could be destructive or those attitudes that could be harmful, then, then we have to be wise to that so we're aware of that. So just think about this. What are the situations when social media may be likely to stir up jealousy in you? And what are the times of day when you may be more susceptible to lustful thoughts? Are there moments where you're prone to give in to fear? 
Because if you know that there are those places where your buttons can be pushed, it's good to identify those things and then decide in advance how you will respond. Like if you know that's coming your way, then say in advance, God, help me to respond to this in a way that's going to be helpful. Look, if you have a tendency to come home from work with a short fuse, then it might be good for you to establish a a stop sign or a parking lot or some kind of geographical landmark that you say, when I reach that point, that's the point when I need to mentally take a shift and say, God, whatever happened today, I'm going to leave that there so that when I get home, I can be fully present with my family. There may be these moments where you have to go, Lord, these people irritate me. And so instead of plotting your revenge, (laughs) maybe it's a good time for you to prepare your heart. And in advance, say, God, will you give me grace? Look, I've noticed that in my own life, that if I will say, God, would you help me to have grace in this situation? It can make a world of difference when we come into those tense moments with other people. So watch out for those warning signs and, and prepare yourself. See what it is. Know your limits. Let's get back to the story. And, and the story's going to get a little bit tricky here. I, I want to show you something, but I'm probably going to need you to track with me a little bit as we, we go through this. Verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. How cool is that? They left the winers, went to the the tent of meeting. This is the place where God's presence was. And when they got there, literally the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, verse 8, take the staff. Remember the staff that he hit the rock with before? This this is now kind of a, a, a symbol that they keep to be reminded of God's faithfulness. It's a sacred item to them. Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. How wise was it of them to go to the Lord, to get the Lord's perspective? And God not only shows up, like his glory and his presence are there, but he gives them very clear direction. He says, I want you to take your staff, which is a symbol that I'm with you, and I want you to go to that rock. And I know know back before you struck the rock, guess what, Mo? This time, just speak to it. Just speak to the rock. And by the power of my word, then that that, that water's going to flow out of there, and I'm going to take care of it of my people. God is very specific in what he says here. Imagine how cool this is. But the reality is that before this story is over, this incredible spiritual moment will give way to the voices that are in Moses' head. Here's what I want you to see. Number three, your spiritual encounter must be more than just an emotional experience. When you have a spiritual encounter with God, It needs to be more than just an emotional experience. Look, there's nothing wrong with a spiritual encounter, and that's exactly what Moses and Aaron had in this story. They were in God's presence, but when they stepped away from that spiritual encounter, they end up listening more to the voices in their head than they do to the spirit of God that's leading them. They were driven by their own spirit instead of by God's spirit, and you'll watch and see this in this story The reality is you can walk away from a spiritual experience and still be full of yourself. You can walk away from a spiritual experience 
and still be full of yourself. Like you, you can come to church and you can go, wow, that was, that was a good service. Or you can be listening to a song on the radio or maybe you're spending time for yourself in God's word and God speaks to you in some way. God is faithful to do that, isn't he? He's faithful to have these moments where he speaks to you. I, I was in a service on, on Monday night for this, this meeting of our, our fellowship of Assemblies of God churches. And in that meeting, like I felt like God spoke specifically to me by his spirit. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you're like, wow, I had an encounter. I got direction. That was, that was cool. I felt like I sensed God's presence. But when I walked out of that room, it's not on God to make sure I follow through. It's on me, isn't it? Like, and it's possible for me to walk away from a spiritual experience and yet still be full of myself. That it ends up just being an emotional encounter instead of being transformative. Now, I don't, I don't mean to be a downer, but I think this is important because some of the meanest things that will ever come out of your mouth may come out in this parking lot on a Sunday after church. For some of you, it's the people that you should be showing Jesus to the most your spouse, your kids, your family, your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you end up at some point representing the glory of Jesus the least. Just because you have an emotional experience, that's not enough to call it a spiritual encounter. Look, look at what James says. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then he paints a picture here. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I've wished for that some, some mornings, you know? You're like looking in the mirror and you're like, all right, that's it, that's all we got. But here's the point, verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is really relevant because here's what happens in this story, and you'll watch this unfold. It's not that Moses didn't hear God's word. It's not that Moses didn't know what God wanted. It's just that in the, in the critical moment at crunch time, he gave way instead to the voice inside his head. This is a powerful thing for us to think about. Look, some of us, when we come to God, we're looking for tingles. What God wants is transformation. He wants to change you, to make you more like him. And if your goal is always to have a quiver in your liver, look, don't get me wrong. Like, I love an emotional encounter. I love a spiritual experience. If you've, if you've been to any of our first Wednesday services on this Wednesday nights, we want to be in God's presence. But if that's your goal is just to get that little quiver in your liver, you're missing out on the point. What God wants to do is bring transformation. It's important for you to both hear and do the word of God. So with that in mind, Moses has this spiritual experience, and then he walks away. Here's what happens next. Numbers chapter 20, verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, hey, everybody, it sure is nice to see you. Is that what he said? <laughs> Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? 
somebody's feeling a little grumpy, aren't they? <laughs> like you get this feeling here. Look, and I don't blame him. Like I'm sure he's fed up with these folks, but I want to show you something because, because what happens here begins to betray what's really going on in his heart, in his, in his, in his moment. Number four, when you're, when you're wrestling with feelings of anger, number four, watch your mouth. <laughs> watch your mouth. He is exasperated and he is upset and I don't blame him, but I'm telling you, your mouth will betray what's going on in your heart. And not only will what comes out of your mouth show what's inside of you, but I've come to find out that what I let my mouth say will then lead me down the road I'm going to go down in the future. Your words are critically important. Let me take a little side trip here because I think this is important to see what's happening. It has been a long road for Moses. Like this is where I don't want to be too, too tough on him. I can't imagine... 40 years in the wilderness trying to lead these whiners and all that they've been through. And I'm sure it's worn away at him, but I want to encourage you with this. Don't let a long journey make you a grumpy traveler. Like I, I know people who because of their long journey, the difficulty and the struggles they've faced, it's just made them grumpy in life. Like for some of you, you, you know what I'm talking about because it's been a tough season and you're not even so sure you can see the light at the end of the tunnel yet. And what that can do is it, it can be prone to make you kind of irritated and grumpy on the inside. For some of you, the long season is, is just physically. You've lived a long time. Maybe, maybe you're in certain years of your life where you've reached a point where you went, you know what, I don't care to filter my words anymore. I'm going to do and say whatever I want to do. Can I encourage you? It affects everybody around you. Just because the journey's been long, please don't let it make you a grumpy traveler because it starts to affect your heart and it affects everybody else around you. I, I know I've told this story probably numerous times before, but it was so influential in my life. When, when we were brand new in, in ministry, just kind of straight out of Bible college, we served at a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we had a, a, a gentleman there, had to be in his early 70s, I would think, at the time, who was a retired pastor. He had pastored churches in Milwaukee, served in some other places, came back to Wisconsin, and when he did, he was part-time on the staff at the church that we served at and did, like, pastoral care things. His name was John Wanamaker. He was a giant of faith, kind of a big guy about my height, kind of stood, he was just a dignified guy. And I can remember one Sunday morning, I was standing next to him on the front row, and the, and the worship leader was, was doing this song. That, to be quite honest, I, just, I wasn't crazy about the song. In fact, I questioned some of the theology in it. I was like, I don't, I don't think that song's even accurate. But it was popular. People liked it. They were singing it. And I remember this song got going, and I'm kind of standing there. And all of a sudden, Pastor Wanamaker took both of his big hands and threw them up in the air. And he had this loud, booming voice. And like the whole place could have heard him. He just threw his arms up in the air, and he went, I will bless the Lord at all times. Like that put his hand down, leaned over into my ear and said, I've never really cared for this song. And, and then just <laughs> went back to singing it. And I just thought, what a beautiful picture, right? Like, like he, he knew who he was. He knew what he didn't like. And he also knew, I'm not going to be a grumpy traveler. Like, I'm not going to let that get me down. I can bring life, and I can bring energy, and I can bring encouragement. Just because you have pain doesn't mean you have to be one, right? <laughs> the reality is, I want to be careful 
Because my words have life. My words have power. James chapter 3, verse 5. James says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's clear, right? <laughs> like our tongues are a risky thing. And they can cause so much trouble for us. That's why previously in this letter that James is writing, he says this, James chapter one, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You know, one of the things that we're doing in this series is trying to give you a lot of scripture. Because if, if you've got some, some thoughts, some feelings, some emotions, some voices in your head that, that you need to talk back to, the best way that you can talk back to them is with God's word, right? So this is a passage that if, if this fits maybe the season of life that you're in, maybe you're in a season where you are being stretched, where there are some of those warning signs, where something or someone is pushing you to your limits, this is a good one maybe for you to write down and keep somewhere. I, I, you might even want to memorize this one. Here, let's read it again. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be, read this with me, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Here's what I've found. I've found that it's often my mouth that tells myself and others that my anger has gotten the best of me. I usually know it by what I hear myself saying. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You ever heard that verse before? I, when I grew up, I lived next door to my cousin, about the same age. We spent all kinds of time together, which meant that just about every other day we got into a fight. And I can hear my grandma's voice over and over again saying to us, boys, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I still get a little irritated when I read it, right? Because <laughs> she was right. The scripture's right. Because what I've found is this. My tongue can talk my brain into bad ideas. True? Man, my tongue can talk my brain into things that it never should have thought or things it never should have said. Here's what's powerful about today in our technology. Our, our tongues have an extension called our fingers. And the things that you say online or in social media or in a text or in an email have incredible power to be destructive. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18. Let's rapid fire a couple of these. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Proverbs 29, 8. Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away anger. Proverbs 30, 33. For as churning cream produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. It's pretty clear. I need to watch out for this, which takes us back to our story, right? Remember this. Moses is in the desert, stretched to his limits. 
People are complaining they don't have any water. Moses goes to God, has this incredible spiritual encounter. God says, take the staff, go to the people, stand in front of the rock. You speak to the rock, and I will bring water out of it. Moses shows up and says, you rebels, you need me to rescue you again? Verse 11, then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, Water, that's not like his team. That's the stick that he has with his, with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. Moses stood there. He raised his arm, and he said, if speaking is good, striking is better. And if striking one works, I'll strike it twice. And that's what he did. And isn't God good? Because God knew their need, and God was still faithful, and God gave them the water that they needed, but do you think that for Moses in that moment, it felt good to strike that rock? You better believe it did. You better believe it did. And it was a terrible thing that he did. Here's number five, when you're feeling angry, number five, control yourself. Like, like, like take a moment and get a hold of yourself. We'll talk about kind of how here in just a minute, but understand why this was such a big deal. That staff was considered sacred and holy. And that rock was, was to be a representation and a symbol of God's presence and provision right there with him. And Moses said, do we have to bring you water? Like he was taking it all on himself. And ultimately, God said to him, Moses, you, you speak to that rock. Don't strike it. You speak to it. And at the end of the day, Moses was just downright disobedient. And here's the thing. He responded out of anger. Is anger always a bad thing? No, sometimes there's what we refer to as, as righteous anger. It's kind of a shame that we only have one word that really describes them both, right? And sometimes there's righteous anger. When we get so frustrated about something, so, so angry about something, that the right response for us is to respond to it, right? There's something we've got to do. Do you remember the story in the Gospels where Jesus goes into the temple and he turns over the tables of the money changers? Do you remember that story? Was that unhealthy anger? No, that was righteous anger, in fact, there's, there's, a, there's a passage where Moses stands before Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, and it says that Moses was angry with Pharaoh, and rightfully so. Like, there's this passion that God has put inside of us that when we see injustice or when we see something that's wrong, it's right for us to do something about it. That's righteous anger. Here's the problem, though. The enemy loves to take what is righteous and twist it and pervert it so that it becomes unrighteous in our lives. So that passion that God has put inside of us for justice, when we see something wronged, but we internalize it selfishly and are upset because we were the ones that were wronged, that's what leads us usually to unhealthy anger. When God-given motivations turn inward, they become sin. And th this is where this is more than just anger in this story. Right, think about it. God has given us a, a desire for justice, but when it turns inward, it becomes anger. God has given us a desire for physical intimacy, but when it turns inward, it becomes lust. God has put in us a desire to be effective, but when we start to want the effectiveness that other people have, it becomes jealousy. When we, when we want peace for ourselves, it becomes anxiety. When we want too much significance, it becomes pride. But these are all things that God has put inside of us, and this is why it's so important for us to say that we need to control our emotions before our emotions control us. 
And we talked about this a couple weeks ago with our thoughts, right? But it's this whole idea that when you see this happening, control your emotions before your emotions control you. I was talking with a friend about what I was preaching this weekend. And she said, you know, this happened to me just today. I was driving and I got frustrated. And when I did, I was, I was just kind of angry. And so I took my hand and I just smacked the steering wheel. She said, the steering wheel's fine, but now my hand hurts. <laughs> control your emotions before they control you. Look, I'm not, I'm not down on anybody because maybe you're struggling with anger or frustration. It's a natural part of life. I was, I was reading this week about turbulence, like that happens when you're flying in an airplane. I think that I saw the article and it intrigued me because I hate flying in airplanes when there's turbulence. Anybody? Like you immediately, like this is it, I'm dead, right? That's the thought that comes to your mind. I was reading about this and it said it's a very natural thing because as the, as the plane flies, it's gonna hit these, almost like waves in the ocean. There's, there's currents in the air. And so sometimes there's three major causes. Sometimes it comes when you fly over mountains, and sometimes it's the result of the jet stream. And sometimes it's because there's a storm nearby. And I said, oh, that's good to know. I'll just never fly over any of those, right? I mean, that's your thought. <laughs> Not realistic. They're never going to go anywhere. And then they said they're, they're trying to figure out ways that they can predict it, like they can see that it's coming so that when they can, then they can know to adjust the altitude or kind of steer around it in some way or to help people. But here's the bottom line. If you're going to fly, you're never going to be totally able to avoid turbulence, if you're going to live, you're never going to be totally able to avoid things that are going to make you angry. So you do wise to say, I know this is going to come, so how do I prepare for this? How, how do I get help in this? And the best place to go is, is to Jesus, right? To ask God for his help. Here's a prayer you might want to pray for yourself. Like If, if you're struggling with some of these things, look at this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul's writing this and praying this for the church that's in the city of Colossae, but you might want to pray this for yourself or maybe even for someone you know who's wrestling with, with anger. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and watch this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. You know what I usually need most when I'm feeling angry? <laughs> Little endurance and patience. And it says that God can bring you the strength for that in the moment when you need it. God gives us strength so we can patiently endure. Here's, here's how the story ends. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. Moses has struck the rock twice, the rock that represents God with the sacred staff. Now he steps back as the people are drinking. Verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough, let that one sink in for just a minute. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you, you will not get to go into the place you've been waiting for for 40 years. Because you did not trust in me enough, Moses, your, your feet won't be able to 
step on the ground that I promised to your forefathers. Moses, because you, you dismiss that trust for me, you're gonna miss out on this blessing. Verse 13, these were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. You, you read enough about Moses, I can't help but think that this wasn't the first time that Moses had a grumpy day. But this was the time when God had to look at him and say, Moses, I gotta do something this time, buddy. You just didn't trust in me enough. So many times when we talk about anger, we say, well, I just, I just lost control. When the reality is in those moments of anger, you didn't lose control, you fought to keep it. Because in that moment, the very best thing you could have done was to give control over to God. And say, God, I don't understand this mess. And I don't know how it's gonna work out. And Lord, you know the, the thoughts and the emotions that are raging inside of me. But when you wrestle with those feelings of anger, here's number six. Can I just encourage you, put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. The, the essence of so many sins in our lives boil down to the fact that we say we believe in God, but we just fail to trust him. We judge people and write them off as hopeless because we honestly don't believe that God can change their hearts. We get angry and frustrated with our spouses and our families and our friends when they disappoint us because we, we start to believe that we're their judge, not God. We're fearful of our own future because we don't really believe that the Lord will deliver us at that critical moment in our lives. Oftentimes we get angry with God at the way our lives have turned out because we don't believe that he has our best interests at heart or that there's more to life than what we just see around us. This is really key for us to see and it plays into all these things. The reason that we struggle with so many of the voices in our head, this is where the battle is lost and won so many times, is in the place where we actually have to come down and say, God, I trust you with this. And I'm not going to hold on to the control of this anymore. But I'm going to hand it off to you, God. With this situation, this one that I want to grab hold of, this one that I want to fix, this one that I want to give them a piece of my mind, Lord, instead, I'm going I'm to trust this one to you. I can remember several years ago, a pastor that I deeply respect, who I consider a mentor in my life, remember he said, be really careful with anger because anger is what kept Moses out of the promised land. Be really careful with some of these voices that are in your head because when they start to win the battle, they can begin to rob you of the blessings that God wants to bring into your life. Look, I, I know that when we look at a message like this, that, that, these, that these truths are timeless and that these are things that you can apply in your home, with your family, in the workplace, that hopefully will help you later this week with that, with that tough situation or that irritating person. And maybe these are some things that will help you. But can I tell you who I'm really interested in right now? Is, is the reality that there are some of you that this isn't just a momentary thing and a good word. This is a timely word because this is something that, that frames every part of your life. It's not just that you get angry sometimes, it's that you're angry all the time. And I don't know why it is, I don't, I don't know what disappointment or what happened to you, what pain came your way, or what frustration you're working through, and let me just be honest with you, can I just tell you, yeah, it stinks. 
And it's bad, and it's rough, and those things never should have happened, and it probably shouldn't have gone that way. But here's the deal. Deep down inside of you, there's this anger that you just can't get past, and it begins to frame and shape everything about your life. It's at the very structure of who you are, and it not only affects you, but it begins to affect the people around you and maybe even generations beyond you. And God wants you to know that if you'll get a hold of that and that you'll actually offer that to him and say, God, I want you to to bring a healing and a peace and a restoration to this anger that's inside of me. He can do that, and it can change your life. There's a, there's a couple in Spain who heard this buzzing sound in their bedroom. They weren't sure what it was, and they just kind of pushed it off. But it seemed like it kept getting louder. From time to time, it would actually wake them up in the middle of the night. They brought all kinds of people in to kind of look at their house and figure, people were like, I don't, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what this is. About two years into it, it, it struck them. And they, they called a professional out. Guy came, took a piece of the wall out, looked inside. And there's a giant beehive in between the wall there. Massive beehive in there. Honey, you, you won't believe it. And they brought in this exterminator who had this like vacuum tool, sucked all the bees out of there so they could go and kind of relocate them. He estimates that there were 80,000 bees inside that wall. And they had to have that guy come and help him to buzz off. Here's a quote from the exterminator. He says, I can't understand how they've been living with that number of bees for two years. That would have left them with a constant buzz in their ears. The truth is, for some of you, you're wondering, I don't know how I've lived with this anger for so long. And it's been constantly in my mind. And I honestly don't want it to be there anymore. I got good news for you. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So that you could come and say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your hope. I need your life. And that's why Jesus was resurrected because he brings life to us today. And if the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, it can make all the difference. If you'll say, God, I don't want to take control of this anymore. I want to hand it off to you. Now look, before we're done, I, I want to pray and Here's the thing, you, 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 you start today and you say, Jesus, I hand this off to you. And it's a process, right? Something that you work through and you trust him. And he takes you through that step by step. And here's what's interesting about a sermon like this. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or stand up or wave your arms and go, hey, I'm angry. Like, I'm not gonna ask you to do that. But what I'm gonna ask you to do just kind of right now is just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Whether you're in this room, auditorium two, you're watching this on a screen somewhere, just stop for a minute. Take a good evaluation of your life for a moment. Are there warning signs in your life right now that say you're, you're getting stretched to your limits? You need to be wise about this. Are there places in your life where you've relied on a, on a spiritual experience to give you an emotional moment, but it's not been transformative, and today's the day where you've got to say, I can't just hear God's word, I've got to do it. Maybe for some of you, it's a moment to step back and say, God, would you help my tongue to speak words of life? I don't want to be a grumpy traveler anymore. Maybe it's a moment where you say, Jesus, I need your strength to control this part of my life. Give me the, the endurance and the patience that I need. 
And maybe for some of you, you've hung on to something far too long. And today's the day where you say, God, I trust you. I put this anger, I put this fear, I put this jealousy or lust or pride, whatever it is, God, I put it in your hands today. I can't hold on to it anymore. Today I put my trust in you. Father, thanks for your word. Your word that speaks to us, not just about these these big concepts that we can't understand. God, it speaks right down to the places where we live. Lord, would you help us to trust you, to give you control of our lives enough to say, God, that when those voices are in my head, I choose to speak back to them with God's word. I choose to trust you, God, with this area of my life. And Father, there's some of us that are hearing this message that that for years, maybe even for generations, we've been holding on to things that have put this constant buzzing in our mind. Lord, today we release those things to you. Lord, we trust that as we continually come back and put these things in your hand, even after those times when we try to take them back, Lord, we, we entrust these things to you. Would you bring a healing and a restoration to our lives that only you can bring? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, look, our hope is that God's word will give you some tools that as you go through this week, you will experience the the joy and the grace and the peace that come from knowing him. Thanks so much for being here. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week. Go in his special favor and his wonderful peace.